Hello, hockey humans of the world, and welcome to Tough Call Pod Season 2, where I talk about all things player safety in the NHL. Questionable hits, controversial calls? Join the over 2,500 others who follow me on Twitter, at Tough Call Blog. Like and follow the Tough Call Facebook page, and find me on Instagram as well, Tough Call Podcast, for videos of all the latest incidents and to hear my takes on them. Send me your own clips of any hit or call you'd like me to talk about, and take a second right now and hit the subscribe button on this podcast. And while you're there, you could also leave me a review, preferably five stars. It'll really help me reach even more people and get the message out on how we can reduce the instances of head contact and concussions in hockey. Did you subscribe? Perfect. And thank you. Now on with the show. Well, folks, I think this is going to be the most important episode I've ever done of this podcast to date. It takes my entire philosophy of player safety, the way I want players to play, the standard I want to hold them to, the importance of consistency in application of that standard and your punishments, and the importance of clearly distinguishing between checking and hitting. To me, those are two completely different terms, and they are the foundation for everything I stand for. Checking and hitting should not be used interchangeably. And I'll explain why deeper into this podcast, and I'll explain how I apply that deeper into this podcast. But for me, checking is a hockey-related play or process that may or may not result in contact. I'm a certified checking instructor, and checking is actually taught as a four-step process, which is step one, positioning and angling, step two, stick checks, step three, contact confidence and body contact, and then step four, body checking. A check isn't something you throw. It's not a deliberate act. It's a process, and it's something that you finish. It's a process to be finished, a process that uses all of the skills we just talked about. And checking doesn't necessarily have to result in contact. Contact is the result of the process of checking that is seen through to completion. That's the difference. A hit, by contrast, is a non-hockey-related play that is intentionally, specifically designed to result in contact. You can have checking without contact, but you cannot have hitting without contact because hitting is contact. You throw a hit. You deliver a hit. You don't throw a check or deliver a check. You throw a hit or deliver a hit. You have to do something very deliberate or intentional to create a hit. A check is the conclusion, the result of all the other hockey-related skills you use going into it. A hit is the deliberate act you take in the final stages of this process to ensure contact. And I'll reference this throughout all the examples in this episode and, and show about how I apply these clear definitions. Now, before I get too deep into all of that, I think we should just uh, tuck away this week's poll call. And you can find all my polls on the hashtag poll call on Twitter, and they will be the pinned tweet usually on my Twitter feed. The one from last week, I recently proposed a rule change that would prevent a power play being split between periods. And my question was, would you rather have two one-minute power plays to get one goal or one two-minute power play? And I talked about this on the last episode. So what I'm proposing is that when you get a penalty, in, or when you are awarded a power play in the final two minutes of a period, instead of having, like, let's just say there's a minute left in the period, having to play that minute and then having the period break up your power play into two power plays, then you have to start the other minute at the start of the next period. I'm proposing letting the period extend until such time as the power play is either finished or there's a whistle that would naturally break it up anyway. Or you could give the choice to take the full two minutes, cut the period shy, and take the full two minutes on fresh ice at the start of the other period. And that way you get your full two-minute power play instead of having it being broken down just because there's a, 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 the end of a period. 
And the, so my question was, do you, would you rather have two one-minute power plays or one two-minute power play? Because I, I don't know, maybe that didn't matter. Maybe people wouldn't care that much. But 89% of you said you'd rather have one two-minute power play. There is, seems to be a distinct advantage in that. And, and I agree, as a player, I would rather have my whole power play played out. So if there's a rule that could allow that to happen, that would be great. Of course, at the end of the third period, you'd need to tweak the rule a bit. So my proposition was to, if there was a penalty in the last two minutes taken by the team that is ahead by a goal, then the team that is down by a goal that, or is trailing at all that's rewarded a power play, the period would be extended so they have a chance to tie the game. They have a chance to, to come back and get their full advantage from a two-minute power play because there's nothing stopping a player from taking a penalty with like 10 seconds left on a clear scoring chance because he knows he's not going to serve any time. It doesn't, it doesn't affect him any. He'll just go to the box, their team kills off the last 10 seconds, and it's over. I, I don't think that's fair. I think teams should have every opportunity to use those power plays to their full effect, and I think this would stop people from doing things to take away the scoring opportunities from teams trying to come back. It would, it would provide an opportunity for teams to finish things off in regulation or at least settle things in regulation. And it would also hopefully increase scoring by having power plays at the end of each period being able to work the full two minutes and set up properly and take the proper scoring chance instead of panicking because the time is running out. And also increase scoring so that at the end of the third period, if the game is extended to allow that team to play the full power play when really sometimes they would only get 30, 45 seconds, whatever it may be, there's that much more chance they'll score a goal and increase offense that way. I don't see any negative to this rule change. And I haven't received any negative feedback that has given me a solid reason to not consider doing this rule change. It's mostly just because people are, are like, why? why? Why would you do that change for the sake of change? And they're just afraid of change. But for me, it's not about just for the sake of change. It's about increasing scoring. It's about allowing teams to have their, their maximum advantage given on a power play, which they fully deserve. And 89% of people agree that one two-minute power play would be better. So I, I think I'm on to something here and I still like the idea. Now this week's poll call is much more simple. It's simply yes or no. Did you watch any of the NWHL games this weekend? You can reply with clarifications of how much you watched or any opinions you like. And that's up there right now. There's still a few days left. So go to my pinned tweet and vote on that right now. So now here we go to the meat and potatoes of this episode, the fines and suspensions recap for this week. Uh, the actual NHL's Department of Player Safety had three fines during the week of January 18th to 24th, one for cross-checking, one for slashing, and one for roughing. Over this same period, as tough call, if I were the head of the Department of Player Safety, I would have 13 suspensions and six fines. Last week I was a little fine heavy, which I am not normally am. This week I have 13 suspensions and six fines. And some of the most important ones I'm going to go through on the hits and misses section here. So to start, I said way back at the start of the season that leg sweeping, not so much slew footing, but leg sweeping, I've noticed as a big problem. I noticed that from teams training camps. In night one, January 13th, I had Jake Vertanen being fined $2,500 to set the tone, as I said in episode one. On January 16th, Chris Wagner did the same thing. You just, when they skate behind someone and sort of accidentally on purpose bump the back of their leg with their own leg and trip them down from behind, it's pretty dangerous. So this is what I'm looking at, that sort of play. And on January 16th, Chris Wagner did the same thing. So I dinged him for the same thing, $2,500. Same amount, same problem. On January 18th, Two days later, Wagner did it again. So, boom, two-game suspension. 
Message sent to him and the league. Three punishments over six days, repeat offender dealt with. And there were a few others I noted over this span on my Twitter feed. I have video clips, but they weren't quite obvious enough to find. But those people would have certainly gotten phone calls, and the word would have been out. Look, the league is watching this. So then on January 22nd, Brendan Lemieux slew-footed Pierre-Olivier Joseph of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it was an actual slew-foot. It was behind the play. And this one is the mind-blower for me. The others were just sort of leg action. There was no upper body at all. They were just kind of sneaky-dirty. This Lemieux one, there was no puck anywhere in the same stratosphere. It was way behind the play. And it was well after these players were done being engaged in the corner, the battling for the puck that was long gone. It's, it's way after they had any reason to be engaged at all. It's a full upper body thrust back. And even in the real NHL, this should have been at least something by the Department of Player Safety. So imagine with my precedent set, what I had already done with the previous punishments, the fine, the built-up fine, then the suspension, how easy it would be to suspend Lemieux here. You could literally take it right out of the game in 10 days. But nope, this is a minor like any other. So now it's open season. And the very next day, January 23rd, there were two more. Mike Riley on Mark Shifley and Corey Perry on Brandon Sutter. And they were both called penalties, by the way. They got minors for tripping. I'm not crazy. I'm not being nitpicky. They are penalties, and they are illegal. And the NHL should therefore be aware of how many there have been so far this year. My system deals with contagious behavior, and this has been a contagious behavior that's caught on. It, I quickly identified it. I quickly dealt with repeat offenders. It's worth a shot, isn't it, this system? And there's another good example I'll talk about here in a minute. But there is just one more incident I wanted to talk about before I broke into that, and it kind of leads into it. Tom Wilson hit Jared McCann on Tuesday, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with this hit. This one was a blindside hit, and we're going to get into the Tyler Myers hit to the head is where we're going with this. Tom Wilson was coming from behind and from the side of Jared McCann, but he didn't do anything wrong. He kept his shoulder down and out of the way. He, he, all he did was step into McCann's path. He did a hockey-related play just enough to do what he needed to do for hockey purposes, which was to either get the puck or get body position on McCann. He didn't extend or explode or anything. And in fact, I got to give Tom Wilson a lot of credit here. We should be giving him actually the Nobel Peace Prize this year for, for the number of points he has and keeping it clean. And, and I have to apologize for Washington Capitals fans because I did say that he would at least be in my honorable mention for heart trophy so far this year. And then boom, he suffers a lower body, body injury the day I said that. So I feel like maybe I jinxed him a little bit. I feel a little bad for Capitals fans because he's having a great year. And as a person who's focused on safety, I have to say he's been a model player this year and I'm really proud of him and I hope he keeps it going and he's being rewarded for it with points too. In that same game, another Capitals player, TJ Oshie, delivered on the surface what appears to be a similar check on Marcus Pedersen. But if you look at it under my microscope in terms of this as a hockey play versus a non-hockey play, a check versus a hit, this was a non-hockey play or a hit. It becomes very clear that this is more targeting than not when you look at the details. The skates of Oshie turn towards Pedersen. Oshie makes a clear change of his path of travel directly up and into Pedersen. So the current NHL will look at this as a natural checking motion, and I'll get more into that in a minute. But in reality, it's a deliberate act to get as much of a piece as possible. Compare that to what Wilson did. Wilson just stepped into McCann's path. He didn't go backwards into McCann's body. He just stepped into where McCann was going and beat him to the space in front of him. And that boxed him out, and McCann unfortunately went flying, but sometimes that happens on legal plays. But Oshie actually made a directional change back into Pedersen, and that is the difference. So 
Now getting into the big miss, it's of course the NHL's Department of Player Safety choosing not to suspend Tyler Myers of the Canucks for his high hit on Joel Armia of the Montreal Canadiens. And I'll get into more of that later in the discussion portion of the podcast later on, but here, for hits and misses, what makes this a miss is the video explanation for why they feel this is a legal check. Forget the fact that this wasn't called just a major penalty, but a match penalty on the ice, which means by definition in the referee's judgment, Myers quote, attempted to or deliberately injured his opponent with a legal check to the head, unquote. That is what the rule says. They gave him a match penalty. Now, to be fair, there's no provision for a major penalty on a legal check to the head, which I find stupid. So it's either a minor or a match. But they jumped to match because they felt this was worthy enough of getting him out of the game. So in the video explanation by the NHL's Department of Player Safety, they say while Myers does come up slightly as a result of a natural hitting motion, this is not an example of a player unnecessarily extending upwards to pick the head of an opponent. On almost every body check, the player's natural hitting motion involves some measure of upward momentum into the hit, which is allowed provided it's not excessive. In summary, this is a legal full body check with an unfortunate result. That's what they say in the video. The problem here is, yes, a player's natural momentum will likely result in some measure of upward motion, as they say. But if you're already intentionally initiating and contributing to this upward motion long before contact happens, that's no longer a naturally occurring result of the momentum. It's a deliberate act causing the hit to be excessively higher than what would be naturally expected. That's what makes it avoidable and therefore, in my mind, illegal. He encourages the upward motion. He doesn't just have it happen as a result of the natural play. For me, it was excessive. And that is why I look at that as a hit, a non-hockey-related play, as opposed to a check, where he could have just easily stayed low like Wilson did. And people are going to say he's six foot eight, and what do you expect him to do, bend over? And I say, yes, Wilson's a pretty tall guy, taller than McCann. There's three or four inches difference there, too. And Wilson was able to avoid the head and come down. And if he can do it, anybody can do it. Myers should easily have just stepped into the space and taken the space away from Armia and prevented him from skating up. He can make contact, but he doesn't have to lunge up and into Armia like that. That is what makes it illegal. Hi folks, thanks for listening to Tough Call. If you're enjoying my takes on head contact and player safety, but you'd like to hear me talk about other aspects of hockey, I'd like to take just a minute and tell you about another project of mine, Bolton from Bolton. Bolton from Bolton is where I, Josh Bolton, and my brother Matt, you guessed it, Bolton, set each other up for a lively hockey talk covering literally anything to do with it. It's not heavy analysis and stats, it's kitchen banter, like you do with your own family and friends. Head over to YouTube and subscribe to our Bolton from Bolton channel, that's B-O-U-L-T-O-N. Or find us on all audio formats as well. We find ourselves funny. Maybe you will too. And there's only one way to find out. See you there. And now, back to Tough Call. Now we're down to the discussion portion of the podcast where I just pick some things I'd like to talk about. And I'm going to go through some really quick ones that aren't relevant to what I was saying about hitting versus checking. New Jersey goal on Tuesday against the New York Rangers, there was an offside review, and number 21 carries the puck into the zone and makes a move, and the skates go in first, and he has possession, and he has control, in my opinion. Now, they ruled that his skates went in before the puck, and that is true. He made a move at the blue line, and his skates went in before the puck, 
so therefore technically it is offside but there is that leeway where you can't really put yourself offside as long as you're carrying the puck now he wasn't exactly carrying it but he made a controlled move with that puck so i could see a very valid argument for letting this be onside however someone made a great point and i can't remember who it was and i feel bad it was on twitter that you know what if that defender forces that attacker to make a move at the blue line before they cross the blue line then maybe he deserves to get the offside call on it until that moment, I never really looked at that before. So I kind of liked that this was offside. At first, I was a little bit like, come on, let's give the offense the benefit of the doubt here. But at the same time, if that player makes a nice, skilled angling move to force that attacker to make a move at the blue line, then they deserve to be rewarded for that. So I backtracked a little bit on that, and I say, you know what, let's have that stay as offside. That's a, that was a good point. Um, just very randomly, I'd also like to say I like the Colorado Avalanche blue pants and helmets. I, I know I've seen some things where people don't like it, but I kind of think it's neat. It breaks it up a little bit. I like the blue pants and helmets with the uh, maroon uniforms or burgundy or whatever you want to call it. It looks really nice. And I forgot to mention last week, but I decided to bring in a new penalty, what I would call endangering the official or unnecessarily endangering an official. And this is for scrums where people reach over a f an official or linesman that is already in the process of breaking things up to throw an extra punch needlessly to a defenseless player over top of a linesman. I call it needlessly endangering an official, and it's an automatic five-game suspension. So if you hear me talk about that later on down the road, that, that's kind of where I'm coming from with it, and I've already had one this year. And just randomly on football, who doesn't go for it on fourth and goal down by eight with three minutes left knowing Tom Brady is getting that ball? I question that decision. I know it's not hockey, but that is a tough call. And now with that, I'm going to dive down the rabbit hole. The whole checking versus hitting and what kind of role fighting plays in the NHL. And it stems from conversations I've been having lately that just are so frustrating. We need fighting. Otherwise, the stick work would be even more dirty than it already is. There'd be more hits from behind than there already is. So then I answer, well, why don't we call those more strictly? How about just calling the rule book tighter? And fans are like, are you crazy? Why do you want to ruin the game? It's hockey, not croquet. That's what it takes to stand in front of an NHL net. If you don't like cross-checking, don't go to the net. If you don't like being hit from behind, don't go in the corners. You've got to protect yourself. It's up to players to protect themselves. And I'm thinking, well, okay, if, if those are legal, then why would players fight when they happen? It's for protection to say, you can't do that to my teammate. We'll protect them from what? Those dirty sticks and cheap shots. We have to protect the stars. And then I'm back to, well, then why don't we just call the rule book more strictly? Are you crazy? This isn't minor hockey. Let the players play. If it's a legal play, that's not a penalty, and you don't want to call this a penalty, then why are you okay with people fighting over it? It doesn't make any sense. So, for example, Miles Wood of New Jersey Devils got a few goaltender interference penalties in one game against the Boston Bruins. He, he did what any player does. You go to the net, and sometimes there's contact with the goalie, and sometimes there isn't. The net is a good place to be. He got penalized for them. They were minor penalties, and they weren't anything more than that. Yet, for some reason, the next time Boston and New Jersey played, which was two days later, so they had a lot of time to think about it and realize it wasn't that big a deal, Kevin Miller fought Miles Wood on the first shift. And Miles Wood was like, you know what, I would have done the same thing if somebody was taking some shots at my goal. I, I don't understand that mentality. I mean, I get why you guys say that that makes sense. It's some sort of code. But I would feel a lot better about it if I knew that because of that fight, Miles Wood would stop going to the net. But he went right back to the net the very next shift. 
And he scored a goal from being there. He was rewarded for it with a tipping goal. And then later, when he was standing there, he took a cross-check to the face from none other than Kevin Miller. And where did this take place? Right in front of the net. So if it's not solving any problem, if Wood is still going to the net, and he's still going to have the same kind of contact with your goalie, and he's going to score goals for it, and he's not going to get penalized for it, then why are we even having this conversation? What he did... The rest of that game was the exact same thing he did the game before, yet somehow there needs to be some sort of fight to settle it down. Yeah, he really learned his lesson by getting a f getting beat up because, he, A, he didn't lose the fight, and B, he went right back to the net. It made no sense, that fight. It accomplished zero in the game. We still have the same problem, and we had the risk of injury. It wasn't worth it to me. Later in the same game, Boston's Craig Smith scored a goal that was called back for goaltender interference. He scored a goal, and it was actually called back for goaltender interference. So now should someone from New Jersey fight him the next game? Oh, you, you're going to take a run at my goalie? Well, I'll take a run at yours. Okay, well, then I'm going to fight your player the same as you fought my player. There's nothing accomplished by this. People are always going to go to the front of the net, and it's up to the NHL to decide whether what they do is bad enough to, to give a significant penalty or not. And if they're just minor penalties, then that's all they are. They're minor penalties, and get over it. Another fight I'll bring up is that Jordan Stahl was boarded by Sam Gagne, and there was no call. Maybe it should have been a penalty, but that's on the NHL. It's not up to a player then to say, hey, let's fight about it. And that brings us to the wonderful game-saving fight that everyone is praising between Joel Edmondson and Tyler Myers. This is the, the piece de resistance for the whole argument. There was, as I said, a high blindside hit, in my opinion, with partial head contact from Myers on Joel Armia late in the previous game. And it caused a lot of controversy. The conclusion of the explanation video, as mentioned earlier, said, in summary, this is a legal full body check with an unfortunate result. You have the Montreal Canadiens coach and some players saying, you know what, if you guys aren't going to deal with it, we'll deal with it ourselves. You have a chat during the warm-up between Edmondson and Myers, and you have a fight. And you have commentators like Kevin Bieksa and Brian Burke that are praising this in the intermission, saying, you know, it was exactly what the game needed to cool the temperature. The game settled right down after that. There was no stick work or cheap shots. And my question, again, is why would we expect cheap shots for a clean check and accept that as a normal response? The league said, you know what, there's nothing wrong with this. We want to see this check all the time. There's, it's not Dirty, it is a legal check. It's not even just that it was, it was a penalty, but it wasn't worthy of supplemental discipline. This is a legal check, they're saying. So why would we say it's okay for team to have two days of chatter about premeditated retribution for a check that the league is going to allow any time? We're praising Edmondson as if he's some hero for honoring some code and Myers for answering the bell, but what bell? Seriously. We all know the only reason he has to answer a bell is because it was a dirty hit. And we all know the bell he had to answer should have come from the Department of Player Safety, not the Canadians' players themselves. Remember, the referee called this a match penalty, which means, again, in his judgment, the player attempted to or deliberately injured his opponent with an illegal check to the head. He attempted to. So whether he hit the head or not isn't important by the rulebook. It's also whether or not he simply attempted to. He could miss, and he could still get a match penalty. And this is what I've been saying all along. You have to look at what a player does to avoid head contact. That's not just whether he made head contact or not, did enough to actually hit the head. It's, does he look like someone who's actually trying to avoid the head? And Nick Kiprios said the same thing. He put a tweet out and said, you know what, does this look like someone who's targeting the head? And I asked him in a response, 
does this look like someone who's not targeting the head? Does it look like someone who's doing everything possible to avoid head contact? And the answer is no, and I never got a response. The bottom line is the Department of Player Safety can put all the explanations they want about the head not taking the brunt of the impact and all this nonsense about not excessively rising up, but they had the opportunity here to squash all the controversy based on that one word, attempted. And then my favorite part is, again, in the intermission, here's Brian Burke, and he's talking about the Edmondson-Myers fight, and he's saying how important it was for Edmondson to land a punch, not just to fight him, but it's important to at least land one punch to make sure he gets him, and he does, so everyone should be happy. But even when people lose those fights, if Edmondson had lost to Myers and Myers had beat him up, what would happen? Would you just keep going after Myers until finally someone gets him? No, you'd say, okay, Myers answered the bell. I got to respect that. You know, that's all we have to do. Everyone is aware now and the game will settle down. We praise Edmondson for still sending that message. The message was sent. Myers stepped up. Everybody's happy. Great code. Great honor. Good on everyone for playing by our little rules and our precious code. So Dougie Hamilton, Stahl's teammate, chased Gagne around the ice and they fought. And what did that accomplish to me? Because Gagne will still make the next hit the next time because it's almost never called and it wasn't called here. It's not a penalty. It's a legal check. It drives me crazy the lack of logic in that. You look at Cassie in last year with Matthew Kachuk and just like we announce, the NHL announces the hits by Kachuk were clean and legal. We will accept those in the game. And Cassian's like, okay, good to know. Yeah, green light to throw those checks. And not only that, but they suspended Cassian for jumping Kachuk, for defending himself from those hits. They announced, they did everything pretty much right. They said, you know what? Those are clean hits. These are legal hits. Those should be accepted. And because you tried to get retribution for those clean hits, we're going to suspend you, and we're not going to punish Matthew Kachuk. So you know what? Whether I agree with the fact that those hits were clean, which I do not, I thought those were dirty and he should have been suspended, this is what they're saying. They're clean, and if you try and get the guy, you're suspended. But it's only because he jumped Matthew Kachuk, because everyone knows the code. On the other hand, if you can convince Matthew Kachuk to fight you over those clean hits for some reason, if he agrees to fight you for some sort of honor system because he was able to outmuscle you in a hockey play, but if you can convince him to fight you and settle things down so that no one takes vengeance on him three days later for that same hockey play, which also shouldn't be allowed, and the hit that we deemed clean as a whistle, then you know, we're all for that. We're all for that because otherwise we wouldn't be able to control the players from doing dirty things. Even though we said that was clean and even though what you did was dirty, as long as you can talk him into allowing you to beat him up, then everything's fine and we're all systems go and, every, and everyone's happy. It doesn't make any sense at all. Kachuk, again, is going to keep throwing those checks, especially when the league has told them, you know what, those are legal. Keep doing that. And you know what? Everybody do that because they're legal. So these fights have done nothing. They have accomplished zero in terms of player safety. But then I'm the bad guy for wanting to take those hits out of the game. But the league is all set up. Basically, what I'm saying is there is zero reward for keeping your cool. And there's no deterrent for losing it. There's zero reward for keeping your cool in any situation. Because you are allowed to fight as long as they will fight back. And you are a hero if you go to defend your teammates, even if it's over something clean. And what really bothers me is even some basic thing, like if I got my stick on someone or I make a hard play and there's no call on that penalty. I've done a good job. It might have been close to a hook or, or a hold or something, but no, I've won the battle. I've pushed away and there's no penalty. So then the guy takes a whack at me 
because he needs to defend himself and police the game. Then all of a sudden, even though there was no penalty called on my original play, they call it coincidental penalties. Because just because that guy punched me in the head, all of a sudden you got to take them both. And my clean check is magically turned into a penalty. Whereas if they had just called the original penalty, if they thought my check was worthy of getting a minor penalty, if they just called that, then the guy would never have punched me in the head to begin with and not both of us would be going. There's no reward for playing clean if you're going to get penalized anyway for someone who does something dirty to you. And there's no deterrent for doing something dirty to someone who does something clean to you because chances are they're just going to take them both because that's the easiest way to deal with it. The game is set up to bring players to the brink of emotion, to the boiling point, to the breaking point, and to intentionally break them and then have the players who are in those states police themselves. That makes no sense to me. And of course, then I'll get, well, you don't play in the NHL. It doesn't have to make sense to you. Why don't you ask the players what they want? Well, let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about players and, and helmets for a track record of a safety thing, for example. Harold Snaps, famous player, said he felt helmets and visors made hockey less safe. So why don't we listen to what he said? All the old players say when we didn't have helmets, people kept their stick down and their elbows down because they knew that they didn't have helmets and people would just do it to them. Ron Duguay found it annoying. He found helmets annoying and he tried anything to not wear a helmet outside the NHL after they made it mandatory and he played elsewhere. Brad Marsh got a concussion in December of 1987 and he wore a helmet for the rest of the season, during which time he says he was never hit with so many dirty shots, high sticks or elbows or hits from behind. He's basically backing up what Harold Snepp said. These players don't want helmets because they felt they made the game dirtier. And now, to be fair to helmets, back then they sucked. And there, was, there wasn't much difference between a helmet and not wearing one at all, except for the, the mental idea. But there was a difference in how players played, supposedly. So why didn't we take their word for it then? Imagine if they decided to remove helmets now. Would you say, hey, yeah, let them play with no helmets? I think that will make the game safer. But at the time, when they were trying to introduce helmets, players were saying, no, we, we don't want helmets. It'll make the game safer. Just like we're looking at fighting now. Players are like, no, we want fighting. We want to be able to po police ourselves because that makes the game safer. But I ask, if there was no fighting in hockey right now and you were on some board, some panel, trying to decide ways to make the game safer, would you actually propose the idea of introducing fighting as a safety measure right now? Would you say, you know, there's a lot of dirty hits. I think we should just let the players beat each other up over them. And maybe you would. But that's the kind of logic we're working with here. One, if we're going to listen to the players in that instance, why didn't we listen to them when they were refusing to adapt to the idea of new helmets? In 2011, there were new shoulder pads introduced. They had softer padding in them to lessen the blow of a high hit. But the argument in 2012 became that there were more high hits because guys felt it, was, it wasn't dangerous with the new padding. So why didn't we listen to the players then? You know what? These new measures that you put in, these shoulder pads that were supposed to make the game safer, now we find players are throwing more dirty hits than ever. So could we maybe look at that a little bit? Why don't we listen to the players then? In 2012, the whole visors argument was sparked as well. And many players felt like, you know, I shouldn't have to wear a visor. It should be a personal choice. Again, players, whenever you try and implement a safety measure, are very resistant to that. Any change like that. So why don't we listen to them then? Why do we only selectively listen to it when it fits our narrative, when players say, you know what, we want fighting? The bottom line is players don't always know what's best for them. And I don't know who is to decide that, but I would have to say that 
there has to be some sort of agreement between the NHL and the NHLPA. And in some cases, the NHL put their foot down and said, you know what, no, we're putting helmets in anyway, we're making visors mandatory anyway. And the NHLPA probably reluctantly agreed to that. But look no further than when they say, you know what, in, under the CBA, this is the maximum allowable fine we can give a player for a dirty play. That's also the onus is on the players there because they negotiated those fines. They don't want to see too heavy of punishments for things. And again, I think that hamstrings the NHL a little bit to, to act as strongly as maybe I would in certain situations where I can just make up whatever I want. But I'm just giving you an example of how I would deal with things and, and maybe why the NHL isn't as forceful as they could be because they're getting mixed messages from the players. And to kind of wrap this all up in a neat little bow, I'm going to go back to my definition of checking versus hitting. And if we started to apply those definitions and to take away things that I consider hitting out of the game, or at least to call them pretty religiously on the ice in the in-game situations, I think we'll find that there's going to be a lot less things that players feel like they need to defend themselves from. And, and therefore, the temperature of the game will be cooled by simply calling the rule book instead of forcing players into situations where they have to take matters into their own hands. At Tough Call, I'm not trying to pick on specific teams or individual players. I want to make the game safer for every player on every team, across every league really, with no player left behind. I want to cover as many incidents as I possibly can to increase the sample size and make a stronger case for how harsher penalties and properly targeted player education can work in reducing head contact in hockey, all instances of it. The Department of Player Safety supposedly has people watching every second of every game. Now, as much as I'd like to watch every game, as much as I try to, and as much as I'd like to have video of every questionable incident, the truth is, I'm only one man with an iPhone and the Game Center app. I already get a lot of help from people like you who send me videos or links to incidents, or even just a quick tweet or message saying, hey, did you see? Third period, Bolts-Kings game, checking to the head penalty. Something like that. It means a lot, and it makes a huge difference. Follow me on Twitter at at Tough Call blog and like the Facebook page Tough Call. And as you watch, if you see a cheap play or something dirty or anything that makes you go, hey, you idiot, what are you watching? How did you miss that? Please send it my way. And a big thank you to those of you who already do. Keep them coming.